Well, he called me doctor, so I better be good today, right? <laughs> good to see everybody. My name is Andrew. I'm a member here at Parkview North, and I'm glad you could join us uh, live here this morning. And then also those online, we want to say hi to you as well. Thanks for tuning in. Um, before we start, let's pray together, and then we'll dive into the scripture. Father God, we thank you for uh, the fact that our sins are uh, many. Um, they really are. But we praise you, Jesus, that your mercy is more. We thank you for your word this morning. We praise you for the chance to worship you in song and confess our sins. Be reminded of how we received your righteousness in Christ. And now as we come to your word, we pray that you would give us understanding into uh, what it means that you would use your Holy Spirit to give us uh, truth, uh, help us understand and help our eyes to see and our hearts to delight in what we see and understand and then help us to be quick to know what to do about this wonderful truth this morning. So we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4. We're going through the book of Deuteronomy right now at Parkview. And so we will be in Deuteronomy 4, 15 through 31 this morning. And I would ask you to stand if you're able. And we'll read, uh, I'll read the words for us for the reading of God's word. All right, so Deuteronomy 4, 15. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. Beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you will be drawn away and bowed down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan, and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance." But you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that is the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land and that you're going over to the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left in few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. 
But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart, with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So you can be seated. Well, I just want to honor and glorify our wonderful God this morning. This text is just amazing. Sometimes when I study the, a passage, I just ask myself, what do I learn in this passage about who God is? And I make a little list, and I couldn't help but just share with you those this morning what I saw. So if you look at this passage, we see that God is invisible, verse 15. All idols have a form, but God has no form. He's unique. We also see that God speaks, like he, he wants to be known. We also see that God is personal. He uses that phrase, your God, about over 10 times in this passage, so he's relational. We also see that God is faithful. He's true to his covenant promises. Verses 20 and 31 talk about that. God is jealous, verse 24. He's angry and zealous for his honor. He's angry at idolatry. And we see that God is merciful, verse 31. He has compassion on his people. What amazing truth if you just scan through this passage. In just this short passage, we see so much about our great God. And this morning, I just want to focus on those last three in my list. God is faithful. God is jealous. God is merciful. So in looking at these three characteristics, I wanted to build them into the main points, what I think is the main points of this passage. Faithful, jealous, and merciful. Um, and I kind of wrote these things to explain what we're seeing here, but then also how we might apply these things to our lives. So God is faithful. He's giving you this good land. But watch yourselves. Beware of idolatry. If you serve idols, you will fall, for the Lord your God is jealous. But if you return to God, you will find him, for the Lord your God is merciful. So if you think about the nation of Israel in these principles, God is going to fight for Israel. They're going to go in and take this good land promised to their forefathers. But in that land, there's going to be many idols, gods of other nations that may tempt them to turn away from the Lord. And if they do, worshiping these false gods leads them to sorrow that will lead to great destruction. But God is there in compassion when Israel returns, and this displays his mercy. And so just a quick review about where we're at. We're in the middle of Deuteronomy 4. And my first statement is just to help us to review. So God is faithful. He's giving you this good land. So the book of Deuteronomy, when you think about it, is, was written to Israel right before they're going into this promised land after wandering in the desert. If you look at verse 22, it says, You shall go over and take possession of that good land. So our, our passage calls it a good land. This was a good gift of the Lord that he promised his people that he was going to give, and now he's saying, go in and, and take it. Finally go in after all this wandering in the desert. And so they were excited. So you could say that Deuteronomy is an 
urge to this new generation to be faithful to the Lord. An urge to be faithful. That's how I might summarize the entire book. Um, Moses urges the people to, to covenant faithfulness, to stay true to their promises, to obey his word. So he does this in the entire book in three different speeches that he gives. And these speeches, they go through Israel's history. They remind them of his laws and the Ten Commandments before they go in. Here's what God wants you to do. And then this, this part of our uh, passage is part of the first speech. And the first speech is really chapters 1 through 4. And it just, it's a speech, like these, all of these speeches in the book, to help the nation of Israel stay true and obey the voice of the Lord. So here, Israel is urged to watch over their souls and to stay true, stay faithful to what they've promised. So my first uh, point, or my second point, actually the first point in looking straight at the passage is, is this. Watch yourselves. Beware of idolatry. So I kind of titled this, this the title of my sermon because I believe that's the tone of this passage. It's, it's a warning passage. Watch yourselves. There's going to be idols everywhere. Take care. Beware. So this passage is a warning text, and then there's some hope, too, in it. Verse 15 says, watch carefully. Verse 16, beware. 19, beware. 23, take care. Watch yourselves very carefully. That's the phrase. It literally means Give great care to your souls. It's like an inner being type of thing, to be watchful over your inner being. So my question then is, why, why do we have this strong warning here? Like, why should they take care and be aware of this? Well, if you take a look at the passage before our passage today, verses 9 through 14, Israel should take care to follow God because he's powerful, right? He speaks with authority. And you think about on Mount Sinai when the Lord came in fire and great authority and gave them the, his words, the Ten Commandments. I mean, can you think of a mountain like on fire, you know? Like a mountain is so beautiful and amazing without fire, but there's a mountain that's speaking these words to them. And so it's, it's like, wow, we better listen to this. So if you look at our passage today, they should take care and beware because idolatry will cause them to forget the Lord and turn their hearts. They'll forget about this awesome God. He, he comes in fire. He's, he made the heavens and the earth. He created them to worship him. So if they turn from him, they're turning from this amazing God that speaks with authority and power and trembling and great awe. And if you pan out of the whole book of Deuteronomy, you know, this idolatry really did become in later Israel's main problem over and over again. So God warns them, you know, idols, they'll, they'll take your heart. You know, what, this, your heart belongs to me. And the idols will cause you to turn to great evil. So if you look further into this passage, we find this principle. If you serve idols, you will fall. For the Lord your God is jealous. So we see that their making of idols is a corrupt act, it says a couple times in this passage. And this corrupt act is particularly bad because it's forgetting 
the covenant that they made. So if you look at verse 23, it says, Take care lest you forget the covenant the Lord your God made with you and make a carved image. So what is this covenant that he mentions and how do they forget it if they serve idols? Well, I did a quick search of the word covenant and it's actually in Deuteronomy 28 times. And I thought that that's a lot. Like this is a very important thing to understand. So in some ways, some people say that the covenants are like the backbone of the story of Scripture. Like they hold the story together and they move it forward that culminates in the new covenant with Christ. And I found one definition that's really good of a biblical covenant. It's a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. So these covenants were important agreements that confirmed with oaths, like in solid, solemn promises to each other. Um, many came with conditions, consequences that would come if, if someone broke this promise. So these covenants then initiated relationships, relationships of loyalty to one another, relationships of, of honoring your word. And so God had made one of these covenants with Israel, the Mosaic Covenant. It was mediated through Moses, and God gave them the law and the Ten Commandments and other things he wanted them to do. And in this, God was saying, you know, here's how to follow me. Here's, here's what to do to follow me. If you obey me, there's going to be many blessings. If you disobey me, there'll be curses. And the people responded and said, yes, you know, we will obey. So promises were made, you know, con conditions were set, consequences were laid out. And so here's where I think idolatry comes into all of this. In the Mosaic Covenant, idolatry was actually the main thing that they were not to do. <laughs> so you looked ahead one chapter, if you look at chapter 5, verse 2, Moses says, the Lord your God made a covenant with us. And then if you jump to verse 5, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So do you recognize this? This right here, these right here, the first and second of the Ten Commandments. So God is saying right here, like, if you love me and obey, the passage says, steadfast love to thousands, right? There's blessings galore. <laughs> um, but he also says, you know, clear as day, if you worship idols, serve other gods, you will be punished. And so we see the seriousness of idolatry. It really is a big deal. Idolatry is Israel breaking that covenant with the Lord and turning to other things to satisfy them, forsaking the, the clear teaching of the first and second commandment. And we see, like in our passage also, that idolatry is heart worship with um, action, I would say. So a key phrase, if you look verse 19 right there, the Israelites would be drawn away and bow down and serve them. So here you see three things about idolatry. 
So idolatry is being drawn away. Our, our hearts would, will, will be drawn away from God. Idolatry is to bow down. So it's, it's worship of these other gods instead of worshiping God. And idolatry is serving other gods. So that's why I said it's action. In, in Israel will end up enslaved to those gods, doing what they wanted to do <laughs> instead of what God wanted them to do. And another reason why idolatry was serious is because turning, turning away to idols, turning from God, is turning from the God you know, who really, if you think about it, has just done so much for them. You know, Moses said the Lord had given them many things and, and, and even gave many things to many peoples in this passage. But Israel was a special people. So if you look at verse 20, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are to this day. So God has done so much for them, including saving them out of slavery to become his special people. And I thought about this idea of the iron furnace, like the Lord has brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance. And it really struck me, it's, it's like a, a kiln that, that heats up the uh, metal really hot so that you can take away all the impurities and then the metal becomes stronger and more usable. And that's what God did with Israel in, in Egypt. He purified them so that he could show his glory in greater ways. And so, you know, he made them more usable for him. And I just wonder about us, you know, what, what are our um, iron furnaces right now? Are you going through anything that feels like that iron furnace, the heat of, of trouble and trial? And I know that I'm going through a few things, and, and maybe God is using um, these things to heat us up and scrape away the impurities and, and make us more usable for him so that we can glorify him in greater ways. Also, in verse 20, you know, Israel is compared to an inheritance. So an inheritance then, back then, was this valued piece of property, often, that was passed down from generation to generation. And so um, God, you know, says that you are my special people, that you're greatly valued, um, saved out of Egypt. And so, so they may worship him, glorify his name alone. And so, man, you know, how then can they... Turn and serve these idols. God has done so much for them. If you look at verses 21 and 22, this is interesting. Even Moses right here, this was a great leader. Um, he saw God face to face. Even he would have some consequences from God. So this is talking about an account in, in Numbers 21 through 13, where the people grumbled and complained and Moses uh, struck this rock instead of speaking to it, and the water came out of it. Um, he told the people that, uh, you know, he was bringing water from this rock, so he was taking credit. And so Moses honored himself, right, and, instead of God, and, and um, that's why God did not like this. And, and he did so, like, at, right as the people were watching. And so if you look at Deuteronomy 32:51. God gives his comments on this. You read through, God describes what has happened. You know, Moses broke faith with him by doing this, not treating God as holy. 
And so Moses was certainly to blame, you know. But the people were also to blame as well. They were complicit. You know, Israel, Israel at that point had quarreled with Moses. They had quarreled with the Lord. Um, so they provoked Moses to anger. This is why it says in verse 21, the Lord was angry with me because of you. I don't think he's shifting the blame. He's just like, there's plenty of blame to go around here. And for some reason, this reminds me of a uh, frequent argument that I used to have with my roommate for a while, Casey. For a while, you know, I was trying to, you know, it's healthy, you know, you need to drink a lot of water. So I was trying to drink more water, and I bought that big pack of Costco water bottles. There's like 40 of them, you know, for a couple bucks. They're like seven cents each. I'm like, okay, I'm going to drink more water. And so I was like chugging them. And so when we were sitting around, um, I would crumple them and then kind of look to see what Casey was doing, maybe over on the couch or something. And I would try and throw them at him, you know, and hit his head or hit his computer. And he's just like, ah, you know. And then, and then immediately he would take it and smile at me and then throw it like way back, like behind my um, TV to like the farthest corner where nobody could reach. And I was like, why'd you do that? You know, go pick it up. You know, uh, you did that, right? And he was like, no, I didn't do that. You did that. You were the one that made me do it. I said, no, well, you did it. You actually did it. You threw it behind there. And he's like, no, you threw it at me. If you wouldn't have thrown it at me, I wouldn't have done it. And so we go argue back and forth and back and forth. Um, and then when I moved out of my condo, <laughs> behind the TV, like there was all <laughs> this pile of water bottles. <laughs> and so it was just like this perpetual argument that we had. You know, we both argued that the other was the cause of the problem. You know, but really we were both to, to blame. So, but, you know, back at our passage, the main problem I think was with Moses. You know, it, he trampled on God's reputation by taking credit for, for God's work his amazing work. And Moses honored himself here. And this incident shows that God alone is to be honored, right? So, you know, in our passage, it serves as this warning to the people. You know, if there are some consequences to Moses, he can't go into the land. You know, certainly there's going to be consequences for you if you do idolatry. So take a look at verse 25. In verse 25, we see here a change. There's a change. It goes from the here and now of the idolatry warning to a future, future warning. It shifts to what will happen if their children and grandchildren fall into idolatry. If they embrace other gods, what will happen? So it's an if-then revelation about the future. You know, if, if they go into idolatry, then you know, they will be punished or they will fall. So this is another angle of warning them about the dangers of idolatry right before they go into the land. So in verse 26, it calls it evil in the sight of the Lord. So idolatry is a great evil in his sight. It provokes the Lord to anger because he's zealous for his glory. So let's, let's look at the consequences real quick here of this idolatry. Verses 26 and 20 through 29. So they would utterly perish from the good land that they just go into, you know. They wouldn't live there long. Moses says, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. So they'll be conquered and exiled, sent away, scattered. Um, these are serious consequences. In those nations, they're going to serve idols made of human hands. You know, these idols can't see, they can't hear, they can't 
eat, they can't smell, he says. You know, they can't do anything, you know, but they're going to serve them. You know, it's so ironic and, and just how sad, you know. Idolatry will bring about a great fall, emptiness, sorrow, destruction, death. Those are some intense consequences. And so reading through my next question is, you know, what is the root of all this punishment? Well, if you look at the passage, it gives us the reason or the ground for this. What's the root? Verse 24, the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So here we're drilling down really deep into the core of the matter, right? The character and nature of God is the root when you can consider it. When the people disobey and turn from idols, he must act to punish because he's a jealous God. So I did a, a lot of reading on this, uh, this idea of God is jealous concept. So, I mean, it's, it's challenging to think of in English because usually we think of something pretty bad um, when we say jealous, like envy, selfish, envy, coveting. But in the text, it's actually a name of God. If you look at it, it's, it means his name is jealous. So one definition I found was by J.I. Packer in Knowing God. Has anybody read that book? A really good one. And he has a whole chapter on the jealousy of God. I found really helpful. So here's how Packer defines God's jealousy. Praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious. So I like that. Uh, zeal to preserve something precious. In our passage, God then is protective of his honor, his name. Idolatry is an insult to the name and the glory of God. It forsakes the Lord. He's the one who has supreme worth. And you turn to idols that aren't worth anything. You know, I found uh, Isaiah 42.8 as I was reading. I've been reading through Isaiah in my devotions this past uh, week or two. And over and over again, God is, is saying, all these things I'm doing for my great name, my glory. Isaiah 42.8 I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So we can say with idolatry, God is provoked to jealousy. He must act to protect his reputation of his great name. He's not going to give glory to any other. So he punishes, he avenges his honor. He destroys, he consumes, he exiles all to preserve something supremely precious, the honor of his name. But we also see in this passage he has a zeal to preserve something else that's extremely precious. And that is his love relationship, his covenant love with his people. So this is positive, right? It's a passion to protect something precious, protect love, protect this relationship, special relationship. So it's a praiseworthy thing, a jealousy. It's a part of love, a zeal for the purity of a covenant relationship. It's a fiery, like protective type of love. Song of Solomon 8.6. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding to the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. So God's, God's love is jealous, passionate to protect and preserve this love. 
It's a beautiful thing, really, when you think about it. And one human picture that I came across quite a few times in reading about this is um, a husband and a wife. So a loving jealousy of a husband. So what happens when another man gets in the way of that, of that love? The loving husband is going to come in, get in the way, and do all he can to preserve that covenant love, that special love. He's jealous like for his covenant love, something to preserve. So God has made this covenant with Israel. Uh, that's why he's moved to mercy also in the rest of this passage, if, if we look at it um, in that way. He's moved to mercy because he's made these promises. So the next truth, that brings up this next truth that we're looking at here. But if you return to God, you will find him, for the Lord your God is merciful. Verses 29 through 31. It's like, look what God does here. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if, if you search after him with all your heart, with all your soul. When you're in tribulation, all these things come upon you in the latter days. You will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers he swore to them. So wow, you read through that after the rest of this and you think, what a God of, of compassion, right? What a God of mercy, even after all they did to forsake him, he shows mercy to Israel. You know, like we just sang, you know, our sins are so many, but his mercy is more. God is merciful. He has compassion on the afflicted, on the suffering. He shows his goodness to them by mercy. Here, like if you look at the passage, Moses said the Israelites would seek the Lord and search with all they are. They would do it with their heart and their souls, everything that they had. And they would find this merciful God waiting, um, just simply amazing. That word return is more like repent or to change ways. And they returned and they repented, and they did this by beginning to obey, obey the, the word of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. Once again, they turned to his words followed his commands. That's how they returned. And they did this with a wholehearted devotion because they saw the depth of their sin, but then they saw the depth of God's mercy as well. And they understood this. And so we see that God is faithful to his promises. It says right in the text there that God would not forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. So because of his promises to them, the Lord would always be there to show mercy if they returned to him. Well, if you think about the nation of Israel, how did they do with this? If you think about the rest of it, um, did they do well with, with um, this? Did they keep their end of the covenant with Moses, staying away from idols? And, you know, you think a little bit about it. You know, there were some times where they returned to the Lord and sought him, but by and large, they did not do well. Um, idolatry just became their main problem over and over and over again. If you read the rest of the story, even Deuteronomy, Moses even foresaw that this would be a continual problem for them. And he recognized that Israel actually had a heart problem. He says the Lord uh, will have to step in you know, and, and, and do something to your heart so that you would serve him. So God would need to step in and do something about it. Do, look at Deuteronomy 36. 
I really like this verse and thinking about the rest of the Bible story, the rest of the story of Israel especially. Um, 30 verse 6, I'll read it for you. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So this is really important. Moses said that God himself would come and do heart surgery. Well, maybe not just surgery, like he would take the heart out and replace it with a new heart. So I don't know if they do that. Do they do that now? I I know they do open heart surgery, but it's a new heart. It's a totally new heart he's going to give. So God himself would replace that old dead heart of idolatry with a new living heart of love. And then that's going to enable them to have this life abundantly, enable them to follow God with all their heart and their, their soul. And this is just an amazing gift. And really, when you think about it, that's what, what God has done for us in Christ, right? We too, like Israel, we have a heart problem. Every person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every person, apart from Christ, is an idol worshiper because they turn from God and honor something else as supreme. If you look at Romans 1 through 3, especially Romans 1, it just talks all about this. It's a problem of everyone. And so this, and God's jealousy comes into play. He's zealous for his name, and so he must punish sin. Without Christ, humans are dead in their transgressions and sins, and they're condemned by a holy God for eternal punishment. What is needed is a circumcised heart, that heart surgery replacement, right? Um, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit for those who put their trust in Christ to fix that deep idolatry problem that they can't do anything about. It's for all, once for all. So if you think back to Israel, you know, they were so far away from the Lord. They were exiled, away, you know, just away, out, scattered, defeated. You know, but God is going to have mercy. And I think what it says is, you know, it's never too late. You're never too far from God. You're never too defeated. You're, no matter what you've done. Think about all the things that Israel had done. No matter what you have done, if you turn to God with all your heart, humble yourself, he's going he's gonna to come to you. He's going to receive you and give you his mercy. It's new birth. It's a new heart. That's God's solution in Christ. You know, when we turn to him and repent, this passage says, with all our heart, with all our soul, he's going to have mercy on us. That's the good news of the gospel for every one of us this morning. So let me summarize things this way real quick for us. Take care and beware. God is faithful. He will give you this good land. He won't forget his promise. God is jealous. He'll punish you for idolatry. He won't overlook your sin. But God is merciful. He'll, he'll not forget his covenant. He won't leave you or forsake you. So these statements are not just for, us, uh, for, for um, Israel, but they're also for us. A couple principles I saw from this passage. We're all worshipers. Like we, we must worship. We're created to worship someone or something, either God or something else. And true happiness is found only in worshiping God. That's what we were created to do. So when we turn to anything else, idolatry, to satisfy our hearts, it's only going to give us sorrow. And the good news of the gospel is that when we repent and turn with all our heart, God will have mercy on us every time. He will revive our hearts. 
And so when we think about idolatry today, what is idolatry, you know, today when we look at it in this day and age? You know, making a figure out of wood and carving something out of stone and bowing down to it, it's not really an issue in, in our, in, with us today. It's something that seems a little foreign. So what is this idolatry? I think we still do need to be aware of idolatry. It happens all the time. Um, we just need to think about it a little bit. So and the passage says an idol is something that draws us away so that, we, so that we serve something else, so we bow down to something else other than God. So if that's the case, you know, if you think about it, idols are everywhere, you know, when we step out of our house, even before we step out of our house, idols are everywhere. So a helpful definition I found um, from the Gospel Transformation Bible. It says, idols are anyone or anything that we make ultimate in our lives in the place of the true and living God. So it could be money or following our desires, the pursuit of success, social media influence, politics, even relationships. You know, all these things can become idols if we're not careful. So Israel was drawn to idols, if you think about it, because they promised them something. They had promises that came with them, these, these gods of the other nations. They may, have, they may promise um, that they would have abundance in children, or they, they may promise they have good crops. They may promise they had protection. All these things that they were looking for, they were just looking for them in the wrong place. So our heart idols today also promise something. And I just have a list of four things that I found, a list from Tim Keller that I found really helpful. Approval, power, control, and comfort, all heart idols. So if you think about the approval idol, you know, that promises that you will be liked and accepted. Uh, the power idol promises you're going to have influence, you're going to have success. The comfort idol promises safety, right, a secure future. Just follow after the comfort idol, you're going to be safe. Um, or that's control idol, sorry. Comfort idol promises good health and peace. So when I look at this, this list here of heart idols, I think, you know, I'm like, I look at my life and I'm like, man, over and over again, just like Israel, these, these things crop up. You know, recently, it's been the, the comfort idol that I seem to, have, to, to struggle with. Now, I'm in a situation in my life right now where, you know, because of my, uh, because of physical pain, because of my health, I'm not really working like I want to. And so I'm, I'm, I'm working on getting back um, to full health because of my back pain. And I'm working on finding relief and praying for that and asking God to, to help me. But it just really hasn't happened um, to the degree that I want it to happen. And so I struggle and um, and if I can be too careful, you know, the, this, this relief idea can become an, uh, become an idol. I think about it way too much. Um, and so God has to do a work in me, you know, almost every day. Because when, you, when you're in pain, it's like, man, I want some comfort, you know. Um, but really what I need is, is Jesus. I need his peace. I need his presence. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace, I'm going to give you. That's what we need to do when we, when we encounter these idols, is to think about who Christ is, what our identity is in relation to this idol, who God is, like what is his character and nature 
and, and how can we apply that to what we struggle with? And one book that really helps me is a book called Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. It wouldn't be an Andrew Hancock sermon without a book recommendation. So Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. Grab that book, read through it. It really will help you see what the heart idols are of the culture, what your idols may be, and help you bring them to Christ. And so he can do that transformation. It's just really helpful. Um, sometimes, it's in, for me, it's something that I'm thinking about way too much, It's something that I might be anxious about, something that I might be afraid of. So you just do a little diagnostic, you know, in prayer. What, what, what am I struggling with, and what might that reveal, and how might God speak to that? It's just an idea to, like this passage says, return to him with all heart, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. So what about you, like in your own life now? Um, what are your idols? Can you identify even one or two? Will you bring them to God, you know, and say, Lord, you know, here it is, and, and, and do your work in me. So my, my exhortations for us this morning come straight from the passage. Number one, let's watch ourselves very carefully. Idols are everywhere. Number two, let's seek the Lord with all our heart and with all our soul. And number three, let's return to the Lord and obey his voice. So let's pray together. Father, you are faithful to us. You have done so much for us, and we thank you. We thank you for this passage and what we're reminded about of your character. We thank you for your jealous love for us. We thank you for your mercy, your compassion for us in Christ. We pray that you, we would think about these things more and more and have them, by your Holy Spirit, change us so that we understand our idols and we become more like you. In your great name we pray. Amen.